Hello, it's Matt and Becky here from Local Zero. Just a quick note to say before the episode starts that from April 2024, Local Zero will be looking for some new funding to keep it going. We never imagined when we started three years ago that we'd rack up tens of thousands of listens across 130 countries and with a website hosting over 80 episodes. We've also met and worked with some incredible people, including Chris Stark, Hannah Ritchie, Jim Ski, Hugo Tacom, and so many more. And we've been able to showcase so many amazing local climate initiatives from all over the UK and far beyond. But sadly, keeping the pod going costs money. If you or your organisation would like to partner up with the pod as we move into an exciting new chapter, then do reach out to us. You can contact us via our email, localzeropod at gmail.com. That's localzeropod at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can contact us on X, formerly Twitter, at localzeropod or on LinkedIn, direct to Matt Hannon or Rebecca Ford. Finally, to help us in our quest to secure funding, we want to hear positive stories from listeners about how the pod has influenced your life and your work. And we hope to do a very special episode on this too. So please help us continue the fight against climate change and bring local climate action to doorsteps across the world. Thanks for listening. Now back to the pod. What's been ruthlessly exposed this year, to your point, is that had capital and investment moved quicker into renewables, our customers wouldn't be feeling the pain to the same degree that they are now. At the end of the day, you know, we're all using energy. My laptop is is plugged in and, you know, we we need energy. We've got a decision as a big company to say, well, how are we going to do this? And are we going to do this in a responsible way? And I I honestly feel like I I do work for a company that is, is, is trying to do the right thing. Welcome to Local Zero with Matt and Becky. This is the place to be for all things local, smart and community energy. So today we'll be joined by Robin Cathcart and Owen Black from Scottish Power to explore the role they've been playing in helping Scotland and the UK to decarbonise. But before we get into our chat, if you can, please do subscribe to Local Zero, which will very conveniently direct all of our episodes to your phone, computer or any other device that you're using. Also, we'd love for you to get in touch with us and let us know what you think about the work we're doing or if there's anything that you want us to focus on in upcoming episodes. We're at Local Zero Pod on Twitter and you can also email us localzeropod at gmail.com. One of the things that really warmed my heart last year, um, and I guess still this year as well, is seeing that you know, regardless of what was happening at the national level, we saw huge leadership from cities, from businesses, from industry, mm-hmm. you know, signing up to the race to net zero and setting targets that were far more ambitious than national level targets. And okay, they, in some some instances, they can be more ambitious because there's, there's you know, it's some in some instances, the easier to decarbonize sectors, right? But I do think that there is real need for action by a whole raft of of folk that are not at at the national level, right? Because we're not going to do this with national policies alone. We need to see action in our cities. We need to see industry leading the way. And so I'm really, really excited for today's discussion to hear about what Scottish Power have been doing. You know, energy is a huge sector we need to decarbonise and and they were principal partner at COP26. So a big player in this space. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, if, if you haven't got industry and government around the same table doing the same thing, you've got a problem. And I, I would ag- agree that 
industry were some of the loudest voices from COP26. Obviously, I'm not on the ground at COP27, but but normally there's huge delegations. Some of them, we might add, are are arguing for a slowdown or reversal of some of this. Um, but somebody like Scottish Power, very big on renewables. I was on a panel uh, just the other day with Keith Anderson. You know, it's it's renewables, renewables, renewables. Um, and if it isn't renewables, it's the stuff that supports that, the networks, the batteries, uh, the, the storage and the EVs. So they get it. Uh, I have no doubt they get it. And I look forward to hearing what they have to say. Yes, and you will have to hear what they have to say because you can't join us for the conversation, unfortunately. I, I will be listening to what they have to say <laughs> afterwards, but unfortunately I can't be there. So I wish you all the best and look forward to uh, yeah, learning more. All right, well, we'll let you hop off, Matt, and I guess we'll bring our guests in for a really exciting conversation. Hi, my name is Robin Cathcart. I'm a Senior Corporate Affairs Manager at Scottish Power. Um, so I know that doesn't really tell you much, um, but I, I'm i in the policy and regulation team at Scottish Power and I focus on uh, policy matters mostly from a Scottish perspective across all of the renewable sectors, network sectors and, and retail. Hi, my name is Owen Black. I work in Scottish Power's energy retail business. I also volunteer with the 2050 Climate Group and I'm a director at a local community charity, the Ecology Centre in Fife, Scotland. Well, thank you, Robin. Thank you, Owen, for joining us. I'm really, really excited to be talking to you both today. And particularly as we are recording this, we are still in the throes of COP27. Um, but what what we're really trying to do is, is, as well as looking at that and looking forward, also looking back because COP26 was, it doesn't feel like a year ago, actually. It really doesn't feel like it was that long. Um, but it was a huge thing for Scottish Power. So Scottish Power was a principal partner for COP26. It was all going on in our hometown of Glasgow. So, I mean, just casting your minds back, what was it like to be involved um, you know, in COP26 from that perspective of, of being involved in Scottish Power and being a principal partner of the event? COP26 was amazing. It was, I mean, as somebody with an environmental background like myself, it was just, it was really amazing to be a part of it. Yeah, it was a small part, my personal part. I can't say that I did, you know, huge amounts, but having, you know, working for a company that was a principal partner and playing such a high profile um, role was, I think it, it was really good for the company and morale, to be honest, because I think a lot of us in the company, um, yeah, you, you could feel proud that we were, you know, having such a central kind of role on the the big national, international, uh, you know, climate scene. So it was, it was great. Um, but it was also kind of crazy at the same time because there was, you know, events all the time and it was kind of hard to just kind of keep track of things. And also realizing at the same time that, you know, it kind of has this kind of festival feel to it. But at the end of the day, you know, they're trying to save the planet. <laughs> so it was a pretty big um, responsibility. So it was it was great and amazing all at the same time, but also we need to do more, you know. So hopefully COP27 has, you know, we see forward progress in the right direction at the right speed. I know, I hope so as well. And, and Owen, obviously you're coming to this with your role in Scottish Power, but also your role, you know, in that kind of community energy space. How, what, what was COP like for you? Uh, I mean, I thought it was fantastic. You know, there was really that feeling of Glasgow opening its doors to the world, that feeling, uh, you know, of something truly significant happening on the doorstep, which I, I thought was fantastic. So, you know, to be able to see that happening from within Scottish Power, to see us be so relevant within that, to have such a, a visible presence within the green zones, the blue zones at, um, at, at COP26, Everything in the lead up to that as well, you know, we had such a, a fantastic programme of events for all of our staff and for, you know, within communities as well, including for, what was it, the Connect with Climate Change 
events that we had in partnership with uh, the University of Glasgow and the University of Strathclyde. So it was absolutely fantastic. There was a real buzz, a real feeling of people sort of um, pulling together and feeling the significance of what was going on. Yeah, and I mean, do you think it was very important for Scottish Power to be playing that role in COP26 and to be that principal partner? I mean, you know, what what was it that you think made... Scottish Power want to take on that that role, or you know, and have that. Was it was it about that visibility, or does it go deeper than that? I, I mean, I think it goes deeper. Um, look, I'm, I'm not going to lie; there certainly be brand benefits to us, no, no question. But you know, as as Robin kind of alluded to, there, climate change is the most significant challenge currently facing humanity. You, you know, and it's a crisis of many faces and many connections, and. Businesses like ours are very much the lifeblood, uh, I think, of the global economy, you know, and the way that capital moves within it. But, you know, we also have to show more responsibility towards societies and far, far more effective stewardship of the the natural resources, you know, on which the planet relies. And, you know, I I personally, I believe that Scottish power um, and the energy sector in general we have an opportunity, and I would go further and say a, a responsibility to do more than most. But all of this is an energy issue. You know, regardless of whether it's heating buildings, transport, consumerism, food, you know, whatever, however you want to subdivide it, the driving force of carbon emissions on the planet is energy. And every single bit of it has come from that realisation that we can use one form of energy to create another, from industrialization to deforestation to the internal combustion engine, all of it, it, it starts with energy. So for me, you know, energy is the defining story of how we got here. Why wouldn't we want to be the defining story of how we dig ourselves out of this hole? I mean, that's such an important point, Owen, and I'm also incredibly distracted by the sound of the very, very heavy rain going on in the background where you are. So is this is this up in Fife in Scotland? It's been a crazy, crazy week. Um, it's honestly, it has, to use a good Scottish term, it has pelted down on the window above me all week. Um, and, you know, even more crazily, I was sitting out in the sunshine in my back garden on Sunday in November. It's It's madness. It is actually madness, isn't it? It brings us yeah. right back to climate change. Eh? Mm. I can't believe how warm it's been at the moment. So the the rain, the warmth and everything. But just coming back to, to what you were saying around energy and this this notion that it's not just something that, you know, needs to be done, but something that energy companies might have a responsibility to do. And I was remembering a very early episode that we recorded. I actually think it might have been the first ever Local Zero episode that we recorded, in uh, which was a year to go to COP26. And uh, Matt had put together a bit of a quiz around things that happened in the year of when I was born, because we happened to be recording on my birthday. And we were talking about how long some of the energy companies, and I think we were talking maybe particularly around Shell, had known about climate change and climate change being an issue and more importantly that their actions were driving some of this uh, you know long before it was publicly acknowledged and so I think that mentality that, that you're talking about now you know it's the responsibility of an energy company to be doing something about this it feels like we've come a, a very very long way and Robin I know you're in the kind of corporate part of the business have you seen that mentality shift over the years definitely I mean yeah, well, first of all, I have to say, I have not been with the company that long. I've been with it for for three years. But again, because I have this environmental background, honestly, I, I wouldn't have taken the job had Scottish Power been involved in any thermal generation. 
the only I shouldn't tell my company this that the only energy company I would be willing to work with honestly is is a company that is 100% renewable so I, I did feel like I could apply for the job and it's a company I could work for um, and but that being said I know from talking to people there is a huge uh, drive for us to well, and we have we've done that there's you know, we've completely changed our 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 generation portfolio we, we we're only have renewables we don't have any gas we don't have any coal we're just focusing on renewables, which is, I think, where everybody needs to go. I wish every single energy company, to be honest, made the same decisions that we have already made uh, going forward, because that's that's what we need, ultimately. I think there's a, a good level of corporate responsibility, and there's an awareness knowing that, you know, we used to have Long Gannett Power Plant. That was a very large coal-fired, well, I think it was the largest coal-fired power plant in the UK. We're, we're on a journey. You know, we don't have a, a perfect past, and I think no one's trying to sugarcoat that. But... Um, you know, we're going in absolutely the right direction. Do you think there's a reason that Scottish Power is moving in that direction, perhaps over and above some of the other energy companies? Like, do you see yourself as leading the way? And, and if so, what is it that's enabled Scottish Power to make that move when others haven't? Good question. I mean, this is going to sound cheesy, but I do think it's strong leadership. I mean, these kinds of decisions, they're, you know, they're made at, at the top. So there's definitely a corporate driver. You know, our CEO is very strongly in favor of renewables. He used to run our renewables business. Um, our parent company, Iberdrola, they're really vocal to say that, you know, climate change is a huge issue. And as an energy company, we've got a responsibility to try and address this. And I think, you know, as, uh, huge energy companies get quite a bad rap, particularly now. I really do think at the end of the day, you know, we're all using energy. We're, my laptop is is plugged in and, you know, we, we need energy. We've got a decision as a, a big company to say, well, how are we going to do this? And are we going to do this in a responsible way? And I, I honestly feel like I, I do work for a company that is 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 trying to do the right thing. And it really responsive to people questioning and, and you know, wanting to, to do things a bit differently. Yeah, and I think you've got... Um goals you know you mentioned Iberdrola Scottish Power is part of that Iberdrola group and I think there's a, a goal isn't there across the Iberdrola group of being net zero by 2040 now yeah absolutely that was just announced last week and that was a, a decade earlier than we had previously set our targets for that, that's huge for us as a company a large international company to be um, net zero by by 2040 but we realized it was something we had to do and I think it's something that all energy companies need to be realizing that, that they have to do so um yeah, hopefully it's it's a trend that, that kind of goes further. But even within Scottish Power, we also have our own um, emission targets. And so we've, we've just had um, our science-based targets initiatives plan um, approved just in, in the last week. So we're going to be reducing our scope one and two emissions in line with a 1.5 degrees C um, and well below two degrees for all across all scopes by 2030. Um, and just to give you an idea of what kind of the scopes are, scope one and two, those tend to be kind of your your direct emissions uh, that as a company you can, you know, you say that you're, you're emitting. So if you have sort of petrol in a car, that's that's scope one because you're directly emitting that kind of those emissions. Scope two tend to be more indirect emissions like your transmission losses, losses across a transmission line, which is kind of, it's a, it's a very technical accounting for us. Um, but then scope three is everything downstream. So that's like your business travel. Um, and the largest scope three emissions for us as a, as a big uh, energy company are our customers' emissions. So they're, they're my emissions or your emissions. You know, when we purchase electricity and we purchase gas for a gas boilers or for cooking, there's emissions that you have to account for that. And as a company that sells electricity and gas, you know, we own that. We own that, that bit of 
that carbon emission from our customers. So we're we're committed to making sure that our customers are reducing their emissions because ultimately that's reducing our our corporate emissions, which we've we've made commitments to. That's a really important point. And Owen, I can see you're like desperate to kind of come in on this, but that's a really important point that I want to emphasize because sometimes I think you might think, why is an energy company sort of driving forward things in this manner? And actually that makes a lot of sense. And it's because your corporate policies and targets rely on what me as a Scottish Power customer ultimately does. Actually, full uh, full disclosure, I'm not a Scottish Power customer. I'm an Octopus Energy customer because they have right, a we still like you. EV tariff. <laughs> yeah, it's still like me. Owen, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I can see you're, you know, chomping to get in on this. No, no, I was just, yeah, I thoroughly agree with what Robin was saying. And I, I mean, I think the, the level of ambition of what was announced by Iberdrola this week is absolutely huge. I think it's one thing to replace fossil fuel burning generation assets with renewable generation. That, that's the smart choice. It's the lowest aggregated cost of energy. It's quicker to do. So that makes sense. But, you know, the energy revolution, it involves a lot of downstream impacts. You know, it's an enormous amount of materials involved, wind turbines, solar panels, electric wiring, EV networks, battery storage, land use, and then the customer element that Robin says you know, the supply chain impacts of all of it is so, so significant. So, you know, I think the fact that we're looking across all of our activities is so ambitious um, and making sure that our sustainability isn't someone else's disaster. It's such a huge part of the puzzle. Let's talk a little bit more about what's happening with your customers, because the context and, you know, the wider landscape has changed so much since COP26. How are you dealing with that? How are you engaging with your customers at a time when, you're trying to decarbonise and support them decarbonising. And at the same time, I think, you know, in Scotland, when you looked at figures pre-energy crisis, I think something like 25% of households were in fuel poverty. And now with bills effectively doubling since since those measures, that number is going to be shooting right up. So how are you how are you coping with this and the retail side of the business? Yeah, it's it's a challenge, um, and it's been a it's been a traumatic year for sure. Um, and I'm not I'm not just talking there, I suppose, about international geopolitics. Though you know, my thoughts go out to everyone in Ukraine. It's been an extraordinarily self destructive period in our domestic politics as well. Now. To repeat what Robin said, Scottish Power only generates renewable electricity. So our strategies, our values, our people are all aligned to driving the transition to net zero. And we want to decarbonise the sector and the economy as quickly as we possibly can. So it, it is frustrating for us to see, you know, short term solutions like firing up coal generation and mm. to see rapid increases in the cost of borrowing, which obviously has an impact on the ability of investors to back renewable development. When, you know, what's been ruthlessly exposed this year, to your point, is that had capital and investment moved quicker into renewables, our customers wouldn't be feeling the pain to the same degree that they are now. And by the way, you know, about engaging, if there are any Scottish Power customers listening and you're struggling this winter, please contact us to discuss how we can help. So, yes, it is creating challenges, um, but I, I have to believe that there's something positive that can come out of this. And not, not for our customers who are suffering right now, clearly. But what I will say is those record high energy bills you're speaking of, empty fridges, uh, vulnerable family members, you know, these are truth-telling goggles, you know, in terms of what needs to happen 
next. And while there's clearly there's no exact formula, we're already hearing and seeing a lot more than ever about, you know, supply self-sufficiency uh, and about unpaid renewables from, from fossil fuel generation in its journey to the end customer. So we need to stop getting mired in the language of this as a cost um, and see it as an investment. You know, the, the cost of living crisis is so vividly showcasing the need for a just transition. So we need a massive reduction in emissions and we need a massive reduction in injustices as well. We're all confronted by a problem and we need to take this opportunity to grasp the nettle and think how we can be more resilient for planetary reasons, also for the social reasons for our customers. Yeah, and uh, bringing on, us to, on to uh, just transition, I think, is really a really nice place to sit because that's such an important part of you know important part of the strategy. Definitely, definitely in Scotland, and we're seeing that in other places. There's no doubt that Scotland is a leader in this space. And I think one thing I was really really pleased to see was the bringing together of just transition strategy with the energy strategy, uh, you know, by Scottish government. But it's not just Scottish government that are that are leading the way in this, right? Because during COP26, you, Scottish Power, put out just a series of just transition principles. And you've been working on that, Robin, haven't you, over the past year? I have, yeah. No, it's been great to, to be working on. Um, and uh, well, you, you've helped us definitely, Becky. <laughs> so it's, it's great to have, you know, external challenge to make sure that we're on the right track and we're not just talking to, amongst the choir when we're when we're trying to, to do things. We definitely want to have um, a bit of challenge externally. But um, yeah, it's like Owen said, you can't have a an energy transition if it's not just and uh, you know sustainable for for everyone and for the planet. I think it's it's something that really does need to be it needs to be thought about in a, in a much broader sense. And I think that's what the just transition um, strategy is looking at. It's making sure that when we're making decisions, you know, we ha- we're we're taking account. You know, how does this impact our customers? How does this impact the communities that we're working in? How does this impact our employees? Um, and these are questions that we need to be asking ourselves kind of all of the steps along the way. And hopefully our just transition plan is is going to be doing that and, you know, making sure that, you know, these principles are embedded across the company. And they're not just something that we've, we've said during COP26, because lots of people say lots of things during COP26, because it's a convenient time to kind of launch things. Um, but we really are committed to making sure that this is something that is long term in the company. And it's not just, a, you know, a one off kind of a, a report that you put on a shelf and then gathers dust. We definitely want to make sure that we're engaging with people much more broadly going forward. This idea of um, things happening across the company, I feel like this, this the, the word we haven't used is culture, but I do feel like the, the company culture is so important in this. And, and you did say earlier about one of the reasons you think Scottish Power is, is kind of leading the way in this space is through that strong corporate leadership, that strong company leadership, but it's got to trickle down right through the whole company. And and I know we haven't really talked about about this, but you're not just really one company, are you? You're sort of a series of companies that work together. And I always find that hard to get my head around, but you've got the network business and the retail business and the generation business and then corporate and how that all fits together in my head is a bit like a jigsaw puzzle. I mean, that's probably not quite right. Um, but it is, it's complicated. <laughs> really? Um, and, and and sometimes I talk to someone and I can't believe they, they might not know someone else or I think that they're working with someone else and then realise actually, no, you're in completely different parts of the business. But one thing I think that COP26 really did, and and I guess I saw this a little bit through being involved with the Moving for Climate Now bike ride that obviously, you know, run, led by Ubedrola and Scottish Power played a huge role in that. So I got a bit of an insight, but it felt like folk from across the company and across the companies in different sectors really 
came together around climate, climate change through that kind of COP26 in a way that they almost sort of stepped away from traditionally what they were doing. And this was something that sort of pulled people together. It was a glue that, that pulled bigger people. than one company. Yeah, it was all of us. Yeah. Like, has that continued? Has that momentum, has that engagement continued across the company as the company culture shifted? You know, I know you have a number of, um, you've got a climate, climate action network, right? Yep. To engage with employees. Like, ha- has that company culture changed? And are you seeing more people that are maybe from different parts of the business who might, on the face of it, be doing jobs that seem to have nothing to do with climate change, you know, have you found that they're kind of engaging differently? Um, you're following the journey. Yeah, that you've been most on? definitely. So Owen and I both we sit on the steering committee for our employee network. It's the ICANN network, the Climate Action Network. And I love that ICANN. <laughs> it is no, it's great. I, I, I think you know that we're we're whole ethos is about. <laughs> bringing people together across the company, challenging ideas, both in our personal lives and also professional lives. And I think we've had a lot of, um, a lot of our members have said, you know, this has been really valuable because, you know, if you're in, it's easy in any big organization, you get kind of silos, right? If you're in government or, you know, big company, you kind of get stuck in your own little, little group and your team and kind of what you're focusing on what you're doing. And because we're this large company that has some very legitimately, very strong business separation uh, units within our company, um, there's not that much kind of cross cross pollination and cross dialogue. So I think this network has been great because it brings people together across all business units. And it's, you know, it's, it's a safe space where we, you can talk about um, climate and it's not, there's, there's no business separation issues. And that's, you know, it's quite nice to bring everybody together. And um, yeah, you get people who probably potentially wouldn't be speaking to each other on a, on a work basis, but because there's this kind of external group of engaged employees. Yeah. It's, it's a great place to, to, to find out, Oh, your, your side of your company is doing this on climate climate change, well, this is something that we can, this is a measure we can implement, you know, on the renewable side, if this is something that Spen's doing. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been quite useful for that. I so agree. You know, when we started the ICANN network a couple of years ago in the lead up to COP26, actually, I, I mean, I don't know about you, Robin, I, I didn't see it having more than 200 members, which it, which it does now. And, you know, having such a broad sort of range of activities from people just using it as a community space, as Robin speaks of there, to just talk and flag up issues that are important to them inside and outside of the company, which, you know, the ones inside the company allows us to then take that forward and talk to people in leadership positions about, is there something that we can do here? And we've had some really great successes in that space as well. Um, But also as a chance to sort of um, showcase people's actions, um, show what people within the company are doing and let people learn from each other across the business. It's been fantastic. Oh, give us some examples. Of what people have been doing? Yeah. Uh, I mean, in terms of things that people have flagged up to us that we've been able to take forward, you know, things like green pensions. And that, that's that been such a, a great thing for us to sort of talk with uh, our colleagues in the pensions department, sort of communicate the importance of this to people within the company, which otherwise you might not have a, a fora to do that. So it's it's really sort of, um, th- that's been really gratifying. But also we have, I guess you're probably better to talk about this than I am, Rob, in the Pass It On sessions, where people come together in short, digestible, 10 to 15 minute presentations. And that might be someone from our renewables, from our networks, from our retail, just to showcase what they're doing and let people understand across the business. Well, what is that? How does this connect to the climate emergency? Um, and is there anything that I can do to support? 
is it helping is it helping employees make changes sort of directly because obviously the pensions is, is a great example right and that's something that at a leadership level scratch power has direct ability to to try and implement and to to create tra- changes there but do you find that this is a space where folk are able to share things that they're doing i guess more within their own lives their own work lives so rather than in their role in the company sharing that kind of personal information as well or is it mostly corporate focused yeah well it's it's a it's a mixed bag so for instance one of our our next pasadons a colleague of mine who's a a very passionate vegan said i would love to talk to more people about how you know you can make the switch to become a vegan because there's huge carbon implications in the food that we eat Mm -hmm. so with with january coming up it's uh i'm gonna make sure i say this correctly it's veganuary yep (laughs) um so you know they're trying challenge people to you know maybe try something that they wouldn't normally try and realize that actually cutting out meat and dairy um, is easier than people think so yes yeah, so we're going to run a session again it's it's, it's for colleagues uh, by colleagues so uh, we're gonna run a session to to talk about that and to, just to have a, a very informal chat amongst co-workers to see you know what what they can do um, you know we've had people talk about EV cars you know because if you don't have an EV car you, you kind of think oh well how is how difficult is it to you know to, to drive from Scotland to Cornwall and uh, to charge your car these are questions that if you don't if you haven't done it you know that you kind of you can tell yourself these are insurmountable they're very difficult to do maybe they are um, well no I feel like this is one thing that we are going to have to talk about maybe not here but I uh, so I had to stop and charge I had to stop at six charges because one of the ones I stopped at uh, was not a charger that I could use it was for a different brand of car oh no so I had five in total two of those weren't working and I had to in one instance phone the company who managed to get it working remotely and in the other instance after 15 minutes on the phone with the company they couldn't figure it out and I had to go and find another charger that worked it and and I talk to people at charging stations because you're there for a very long time and overwhelmingly now the people that I talk to hate the fact that they own an EV and have to drive it and have the issues with charging. And it is the charging stations that are causing all of these issues by not working. And, and I read an article in the paper recently, because in fact, and, I, and I'm moaning about my drive from Scotland to Cornwall, but the biggest challenges I've had have actually been in Scotland. And I, and I remember reading an article in the paper recently around one in four um, chargers in Scotland don't work. Wow. Yeah, it's shocking. And I realised, sorry, I realised that's not necessarily a Scottish power thing to fix. Not well, it's, um, but it's challenging. It, it's something we can potentially try and, and, and fix. I mean, we do have charging facilities, that, so we need to be making sure there, there are more and they're well looked after. Yeah, and I think this is part of this element of um, just transition and, and, and engaging people and getting people bought in is that I think we we need to make sure that the alternatives that people are being asked to shift to are seen as better, not as worse quality, because it's going to be really hard to encourage people to to shift in that way. And affordable. And affordable, yeah. I mean, that's I mean that's part of the problem. It's it's very easy for kind of middle class people to say, oh, well, you know, I've I've bought an EV, I I've I put in a heat pump, mm. but you know, a lot of these these costs are out of reach for a lot of people, and we need to make sure that that's not the case. That you know, it's not a case where if you're, you know, middle income or are higher, then you can have the luxury of of having a smaller carbon footprint. And if you're not, then you're you're stuck to a higher carbon footprint, and you know, potentially also longer term running costs. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, it's, it's it's something we need to be making sure is is built into the decision making process across the board with governments and companies. It's it's a collective responsibility there. It's not an easy one. No, and I was. 
maybe, maybe you won't want to answer this, but I'll, feel free to say you don't want to answer this. Um, do you think that as an energy company that Scottish Power, whichever part of the business, um, has a role to play in supporting the uptake of these clean energy technologies, the shift from gas to heat pumps. Absolutely. You know, some yeah. might look at that and say, well, Scottish Power might see a benefit in that. Uh, more people buying their electricity. Well, we have to. We've got targets. And if we want to meet our emissions targets, we can't meet those alone. We rely on our customers to make that decision for us. Because like I said, all of our scope three emissions, those are that's from the customer's decisions and our supply of energy to them. So if our customers don't reduce their carbon footprint, then that's the carbon footprint that that we kind of maintain going forward in our scope three emissions. So we absolutely have a responsibility to help our customers try and and reduce their their emissions because it's it's helping us. It's it's a win win situation to be honest. And the solutions are there, Becky. Do you know? So no, it's it's not an awkward question to us at all. This is absolutely part of our core strategy. Um, you know, particularly in the retail space. We've really rapidly accelerated our move into air source heat pumps, into solar panels um, and battery storage for solar panels, um, electric vehicle chargers. This is absolutely at the core of how we help to decarbonise the energy sector and the economy. So, no, um, we recognise there might be a move away from centralised gas and electricity. Certainly in the, the gas side, there, there sort of has to be. Um, but it's not due to a lack of solutions. The solutions are there. It needs um, meaningful action. Mm. And government policies to make sure that it's it's an easier thing for customers to do. It, and it is really difficult. And I think some of the challenges in there are ultimately down to the business models that sit behind all of this, you know, not being able to get a heat pump unless your home's insulated. But, you know, or, sorry, not qualified. Which is, the- that, there's a bit of a fallacy, I have to say. So, I mean, it's the same thing with a gas boiler. If you've got a gas boiler and your house is not insulated, you're leaking heat outside of your house. You are. So the the idea that you have to have an overly insulated house for your heat pump to work, I think scares a lot of people off. And it definitely it scared me off. Um, I did get a heat pump a couple of years ago and I was really worried. I have to say, I lived in 1930s, semi-detached, and I thought... Oh, oh dear, it's not you know up to particularly high standards and I got the heat bump and it's absolutely fine. So I think there's a little bit of worry out there that maybe you don't necessarily need to have. Okay, that's good to know. I think the, some of the biggest challenge is just the cost. You know, I was actually looking at it yeah. recently and I just, even with the even with the government grants at the moment, it's still price prohibitive. Um, I'm lucky that I have an EV, it's through a lease scheme. There is absolutely no way I could afford to buy one and I would consider myself in like middle class bracket I do think that some of the biggest challenges are are around how not not that the technologies are not there but how people are possibly going to be able to afford to change what they're doing in their home with the business models that we have right now yeah so Let's, I mean, we've been talking around, we could probably keep going on about that. That's a topic that I think I think all of us are probably quite passionate about and I don't think we're going to solve it today. Nope. Um, as you said, it needs it needs collective action and, and certainly leadership from the top and real input from government. But I guess it it is worth reflecting on what's happening moving forward. And, you know, given we've got, we've got COP27 going on right now as we speak, by the time this episode goes out, it probably will have finished and maybe some things will have changed in the international national landscape hopefully um it seems to be changing on a daily basis at the moment in the uk doesn't it but 
Do you have any sort of personal or professional hopes for what you'd like to see coming out of COP27 at the international level, the UK level, the Scotland level, or even what you're seeing going on in your local communities? I mean, what are you what are you both hoping for? Owen? I'm not massively hopeful um, at the second time over COP27. Um, yes, I, I am hopeful about the climate crisis generally, but uh, I don't think that hope and obsessive optimism are, are necessarily the same thing. So I, I'd, I'd be lying if I ignored some of the trends that I'm seeing in COP27 that I'm, I'm, I'm not particularly hopeful about. But... You know, what What do we want to see coming out of COP27? You know, we want to see what everyone wants. You know, that every practicable effort is made to limit climate change. You know, every single point one of a degrees bakes in untold suffering for so many. So that needs to be kept front and centre. And in terms of Scottish Power, well, you know, we want governments to uphold their commitments. We want them to scale up efforts to create a long-term vision that enables credible pathways to net zero and that accelerate the energy transition. You know, we are trying to make sure that renewable energy grows more quickly than any energy source in history. So we want to have stable investment, regulatory and political frameworks that encourage investment and that let us and companies like us get on with the business of decarbonising all economic sectors and uh, one that's really close to my own heart, I suppose, is uh, we want that to advance the just transition and the deep injustices of the climate crisis that or that the climate crisis exacerbates. The, the crisis, unfortunately, is not just a technical issue of emissions. We know that. It's one of many, many connections. It's an economic crisis. It's a racism and gender injustice crisis. It's a crisis of land use. It's a crisis of agriculture. It's a, cr- it's a crisis of borders. Once we appreciate that magnitude and all its connections, hopefully we can converge on it from all angles and we have to see this coming out of COP. Awesome. And Robin, you get the last word. Oh, the last word on COP27. Well, look, I've been looking at COPs for years and, I mean, let's be honest, the scientists have all told us even hoping for a 1.5 degree planet is vanishingly small in the, the the best instances, I think a lot of climate scientists will probably tell you that's just not going to happen, to be perfectly honest. Um, so it does kind of put a bit of a damper on on the international negotiations because they're still trying to, they'll, amongst themselves, they'll, they're saying they're trying to keep the 1.5 alive. And I just don't see the government action, the international government action anywhere, to be honest. I mean, I think we're, we're very progressive in, in the UK and in Scotland, and I think we're doing a great job as, as leaders for lots of other countries to be following. But the truth of the matter is nobody's moving fast enough. And that's, that's a problem that we're all going to have to deal with. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a downer, especially when you have kids and you want to be handing them a, a world that's, that's better than the one that was given to you. And I don't know that we're there. I think we all just need to be doing a lot more, uh, a lot faster. And it's it's difficult. It is hard. And I think for me, for me, that's one, one of the reasons that things like the, you know, looking, I guess it's a bit more specifically to the UK than, than other nations, but looking at some of the city level climate targets and corporate climate targets is so, is, is heartening in a way because we're seeing, I guess, more ambitious action or ambitious targets, will, hopefully the action will follow um, by businesses, by industry and by cities than perhaps we're seeing at that national or international level. So I guess, you know, 
really, really points to the reasons why the targets that we were talking about across the Iberdrola group and within Scottish Power are, are absolutely critical sitting alongside the, the national and international policy landscape. So all that's left for me to do is say thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a really interesting discussion and it's so great to hear about what Scottish Power is doing in this space and why organisations like yourself can and should be leading the way. So thank you, Robin. Thank you, Owen. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Thank you. It's been great talking to you too. Yeah, it's a real privilege to be here. I love what you're doing in the pod and your work beyond that as well. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Local Zero. Big thank you to our guests for this episode, Scottish Power's Robin Cathcart and Owen Black. And a reminder that uh, you can follow us on social media, find us on Twitter at localzeropod to get involved with discussions there. Or you can email us localzeropod at gmail.com if you want to share some longer thoughts. And if you are enjoying Local Zero, make sure you subscribe, by the way. Um, And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please take just 15 seconds to leave us a rating. And if you've got a bit more time, a review. It really helps us out, gives us a huge boost when someone does that and helps other people find us so we can spread the word about local energy even further. But for now, thank you so much for listening and goodbye. Produced by Bespoken Media.